So let's say that again. You have divine borders that God has established. And as you grow with them, guess what? He expands your territory. As you prove trustworthy, as you prove fruitful, he expands your territory. So you get to walk in that. And then I want to throw this big bomb on you where you have territory, you have authority. Where you have territory, you have dominion and you have established that. And so there are things that you can ask for and that you can do that um, God opens up because he's he's equipped you with that. He's established you with that. And like, here's a big old fat bomb right for you. Many of you in your marriages are not walking in the authority of your territory. You have abdicated your authority to pray for and to affect change in your marriage. Because you don't seem to understand that this marriage is my territory and God has given me authority and dominion to affect change, calling heaven to earth because I have authority to call that down. And so you're going, oh, who's going to fix me? You are, baby. You and Jesus and Jesus through you is going to fix your marriage. So you may need a little help, but you're the one that's got the authority. And I have a small group that I'm meeting with and I hammer them every week. How many of you are praying together? How many of you are praying together? How many of you are praying together? Because what happens is when you pray together, you bring your fist and your fist and you guys join up with the Lord. And now you're like this force field that's to be reckoned with. I don't understand where this teaching has been for all of Christendom. You're a weapon. He's a weapon. You come together under the power of the spirit. Now you are the fortress of heaven moving forward. And so you're going, oh, my marriage, oh, my marriage, line up. Line up and get up underneath where the Lord wants to have you. So you have territories. I got to breathe. <sighs> my heart is pounding out my chest. <clears throat> okay, so the next one is boundaries. And so I normally speak to women about boundaries because we all give a knowing nod about boundaries. But it's also a very real thing for men, and it's for sure a very real thing in social settings. And so the Lord actually loves boundaries. He establishes them. Psalm 16, 6, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. There's that concept about you thanking the Lord for the place that he's given you, the boundaries that he's given you. And we see in scripture, I'll give it to you, Jeremiah 5, 22, where it talks about all through scripture, the Lord says, I set the earth with boundaries. I've put the ocean in place. I've set the water in place. So this is the boundary. This is water. This is the land. The Lord establishes boundaries. If you'll start looking in nature, you will see he is very much a boundary person. And here's the most important definition of boundaries, okay? I got this when I was in crisis myself, so I'm also a newbie in boundaries, but I'm getting better, is boundaries are a safe place for you to hear from the Lord for yourself, Boundaries are a safe place for you to hear from the Lord for yourself. And so that means that nobody's telling you what you ought to think. Nobody's telling you what you ought to feel. Nobody's telling you that you're wrong. Nobody's telling you that you're right. It's like you're able to hear from the Lord and he stills the water, leading me beside still waters so that I can see myself accurately, so that I can see the Lord accurately. Because when the water's all turned up, I can't see anything but what I think or what I perceive, or what I, worse, make up. I don't know about you, many of us are just guilty of making up realities. Any jazz hands in the room? Okay, so boundaries are where I start and stop, and where you start and stop. 
And there's a difference. You want to change your relationships, be okay whether your friend, child, or partner is upset or not. I'm okay. I'm actually okay. You're very upset right now, but I'm actually okay. That's called healthy distance. That's healthy boundaries. Instead of you're upset, therefore, oh my God, I need to do something because you're upset. Or I'm upset, so I'm going to manipulate you to do what I want. I'm going to use my emotional power to try to manipulate you to get you to do what I want. That's really unhealthy boundaries. I get to think and hear for myself. I get to hear from the Lord for myself. I get to decide for myself. And so many of us are so bound up by people-pleasing that you just won't be honest about what you want. Uh, The Lord gave me this scripture about honesty and boundaries. You want to change your life? Honesty and boundaries. Be honest about what you want and need and don't want and don't need and have appropriate boundaries and clearly communicate them. No, that's not, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. Don't even say I'm sorry. That doesn't work for me. I can't do that. Thank you for asking. I can't do that. Thank you for understanding. It's like, get get a real clue about what this means. And then the place that I want to really focus today is this next concept is bridges. You can go on to the next one. Bridges are intended for connecting two things. Two things that would otherwise be separated. And what's so powerful about this picture is that many of us live with broken bridges in our lives and seem perfectly content with it. Perfectly content to have broken bridges. And yet we, you and I, we've just sung it. You're the only one who can. And we keep singing that he's the one that brings graves into gardens. And yet we'll go, oh, but he can't fix that bridge. He can't, he can't do that. It's like your ability to put limitations on the God that you just said could do anything. Hear what I said? You putting your limitations on the God that you just said could do anything. Okay? So what's really powerful to me about this picture is this is supposed to be a path for other people to cross across. When you build bridges, it's not just about the two things that you've connected. It's about all the activity that happens because you took the time and the effort to do that. How many of us, when you have a reconciliation in one relationship, now suddenly, oh, I, I know you because of him. I know you because of him. I know you because of him. Because you built that bridge of reconciliation and all these other connections and relationships came with it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is like, this is heaven on earth when you build bridges of reconciliation. And then this is a very practical, practical thing about how you build bridges with someone that you're in direct conflict with. We call it, in my house, we call it the trust bridge. I have my half, you have your half. And it's our job to keep our half of the bridge healthy and connected, and the other person's job to keep their half connected. So something really bad happens, boom, you've blown up the bridge. And now there's no connection. So what we often do, blame game, well, I'm waiting for them to, I'm waiting for them to start building their bridge. Well, when they build the bridge, I'm going to walk across it. See, it's all on them. And then the other person's doing the same thing. So you go through this, this uh, devastation for years upon years. But what God calls us to do is, best as you are able, be at peace with all men, meaning you build your bridge. You go through the process of building your bridge. 
And part of building the half of your bridge of reconciliation is you work on forgiveness. You work on boundaries. Probably the reason your bridge blew up in the first place is because you suck at boundaries, right? So you work on the reconciliation. You work on the forgiveness. You work on boundaries. And you work on patience. Because here's what happens, and I've seen this multiple times, people doing it for me, but also me doing it for other people, is I've done the work, I've built my bridge, and they're just sitting there, sitting on the dock of the bay, right, doing nothing. And I'm working, trying to go through, I'm sending out like these little peace trees, hey, are you okay? Nope, not ready to talk to you. Hey, you okay? And you go back to the Lord going, what am I supposed to do? And the Lord said, as best as you're able, be at peace. So... Here's what you do. You walk out, you build your bridge, you walk out on your half and you give a little look. Are they working? Are they ready? Nope. And you go back and you pray and you wait and you work on your own heart and you come back ever so often and you look and see and eventually you might see some movement and you just keep coming out to the end of your bridge until that person is ready for there to be reconciliation. Does this make sense? Now you do that, (coughs) excuse me, in your marriage. Look, in marriage, in family relationships, we want that kind of devastation, and you want it fixed tomorrow morning. That's dumb. That's my new phrase for the week, by the way. I've said that. That is dumb. That's so dumb. Like, I think we got so politically correct, we don't ever go, that's dumb. Because that's dumb. Do you mean that's dumb? Like, wisdom, heavenly wisdom, it didn't take you, you didn't build that bridge overnight. You may have blown it up overnight, but you're not going to rebuild it overnight. And so the situation that was so messy that I told you about a couple of weeks ago, you know, the very first thing we had to do in that situation was space. And so Chuck and Karis just had to, they had to, here's what they did. This is super healthy boundaries. I know we're in conflict. Chuck goes, I know we're in conflict. I want to work this out with you. I can't do that right now. But let's set a time that we can work on that. When is good for you? But it all gave her that invitation. And she said, did she first say like three days later? I think, is that what she did? And I said, oh gosh, I have to live with this for three days. Oh yeah, first she said not ready. So then she goes, I'll let you know. So then Chuck comes back, his end of the bridge. Your bridge wasn't built. Who am I kidding? So he's yelling from the back. Hey, are you ready to do anything? You know what I mean? But here's what happened. Is that they kept setting this date of trying to do stuff. So in the process of them setting this date, Chuck starts working on his bridge. I was in that little boat. <laughs> right there by the crush. This? Yeah, that boat. Yeah. I, I actually think you were the one that was going so. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but listen, like in all seriousness, he went and had, he had to go do his work. And he gave her time to do her work. And so then they had to come back again. Hey, are you ready to do this? No, I'm not quite ready. Okay, no problem. So they pushed it out a couple of more days. But they kept staying in communication. Great boundaries. Staying in communication. Still expecting and planning for reconciliation. See, here's the thing. We don't reconcile because we don't want to do the work. We don't reconcile because we want them to do the work. They want, we want them to have all the, tr- the problem. You're the problem. If you'll fix your problem, then we'll be reconciled. And that is not the kingdom of God at all. And so you want to keep moving toward a time. And so here's how that first step got reconciled, telling your story, is that Chuck went and took her away um, to a, a neutral place, also super important. And he said, tell me your side of the story. I want to understand 
What was it like for you? What happened for you in this story? That is the crux of reconciliation. That you start taking on, instead of you coming to tell, instead of Chuck coming to tell Karis what she thinks and what she feels and what she believes, he humbled himself and came forward and said, you tell me what I did and how that affected you. And then just watching the Lord continue to do a healing. So trust bridges are built to people. They have people pass over. You connect two worlds together. Listen, I don't want to just blow past that. Bridges connect two worlds that were otherwise separated. And you are, according to the words and the heart of God, you are a minister of reconciliation. That's what's one of your titles now. You're an ambassador. You have all the chops. Wow. Listen, you don't have to learn reconciliation as much as you have to activate reconciliation because you have all of the Holy Spirit in you whose heart is always to reconcile. Always, always. Okay? Go to the hey, next picture. Hey Jane, can I add something? Sure. I love what you said about the two worlds because by listening to her, like a whole world opened up that I had no idea about. Like I, w- I would not have ever seen that just by hanging on to my worldview is the right one. Did you all hear what he said? Yeah, okay. Just hearing her, something totally different. Then these are just some beautiful pictures. What I, what I love about this is like the stages of life, because what you don't know about this picture is it's showing age way down here, our older hands, and about how we love people through the years and how we um, embrace one another. You know, one of the greatest bridges that you can offer someone is embracing them. Let me see what the Lord's shooting out here. Hold on a second. You know, we talked last week about um, accepting one, two weeks ago about accepting one another. Is, is, I, I know I keep talking about the chosen, but the leper comes to Jesus and he says, you know, you can heal me. You can heal me. You can heal me if, if you're willing to do that. And Jesus could have just like spoke a word to him, right? But it says that he embraced him. That's a heart of reconciliation is that you're willing to embrace someone not afraid that their ick is going to get on you. Amen? Amen. All right, let me go to this next picture. And building bridges is divine work. What we're talking about in, I don't, I've got to find another word because I don't even like the word racial reconciliation, human reconciliation. That's what we're actually doing, human reconciliation. Is that what we're talking about is divine work. It takes God to do it. And God is honored by it, and God holds it up. It's like God is honored by the fact that we are trying to reconcile with our family members, that we're trying to reconcile with our friends, but you're trying to reconcile with your city, and that you're trying to reconcile in the world, and you're bridge building and doing a divine work. It's like, don't miss the power of heaven that is available to you to do what God asked you to do. Did you hear what I just said? Don't miss the divine power that is available to you when you do what God has asked you to do. He's not going to say, go fix that problem and go, I'm just going to stand here, I'll be here. He's going to be right there with you going, I'm going to give you everything you need to do the thing I've asked you to do. You don't believe me, go read the Bible because he's equipped and equipped and equipped. He calls and then he equips. Okay, then go to the next picture. The next word is like bulldozers. This is a really strong word that the Lord gave me. 
And here's one thing I want you to think about is bulldozers move debris out of the way. So some people are, I think all of us are bulldozers at some time or another. Is that, Chuck, if you'll go to the next picture, just because it's so funny. Some people, you need a bulldozer to come move the crap. Move the crap, right? Move the trash out of the life. And a, a bulldozer has the strength. Listen, here's the thing about you being a personal bulldozer. You have the strength of the Lord to be able to move other people's obstacles out of the way. Part of reconciliation is being willing to get dirty and move the obstacles out of the way. But then Chuck, go back to the other picture. Another thing that's beautiful about bulldozers is they literally reshape the earth. Bulldozers literally reshape the earth. And you and I are reshaping the future. Spiritually, as spiritual bulldozers, we are reshaping the future of the spiritual climate in Knoxville, the spiritual climate in your home, the spiritual climate in this country. And you think your voice, your bulldozer doesn't matter? I just want to slide my little card right across the table because you got all of Jesus. You got all the Holy Spirit right here, right now. You may not know what to do with it, but you still got it. And so you have the power to do that. And more importantly, you have the call to do that. So let's talk about how you do that. Yeah, Yeah, man. I'm an eight. I got you. So there you go. So I'm just going to give you some scriptures. And I want you to go back and really sit in. I've been just sitting on these scriptures. Ephesians 3, uh, sorry, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Actually, Chuck gave me this one this morning. It was so good. It says, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. I don't know if you're pulling it up on your phone or in your scripture. For he himself is our peace. You could stop right there. Why do I do it? Because he himself is our peace. I'm so afraid. He himself is our peace. How can I go into that terrible situation? He himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, in this passage, we're talking about the law versus not the law. But if you bring this way out, Jesus has done that. He's taken down the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. I love this this part. His purpose, God's purpose, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. You want to know what God thinks about reconciliation? You want to know what God thinks about racism? He died so that there would be one new humanity. And anything that causes you to separate people, you got to pay attention. Listen, I'm just going to get way up in your business. I am so tired of people using this phrase. Well, she was like a nurse, you know, the little black nurse. Well, there, there was this guy, but you know, like he's black. I mean, you know, but he knowing nod, he's black. One new humanity. And listen, if we say, if you say to me and I say to you that I don't have any racist tendencies, I lie. And you lie. And we just maybe haven't hit your button yet, but we lie. Like I have a friend who is not a skin racist. She's a fat racist. Anybody got friends like that? She loves skinny people and she thinks fat people are lazy and ugly. And she talks bad about them. She goes, well, she would just be so pretty if she just 
She's so fat. She's so fat. That's racism. That's diminishing. That's classism. That's trying to diminish someone based on a physical attribute. So I want you to pay attention to what kind of use you use. Okay, so you don't have a black thing. Have you got a Mexican thing or Hispanic thing? What about the whole thing about the Asians? It's like, I don't know if anybody's seen the crazy movie, um, this hilarious, Crazy Rich Asians. So funny. It's hilarious. But the classes that are established in that movie is a real thing. There's the super wealthy and there's the super poor. And that's how they make their distinctions. Pretty much everybody looks the same, but their racism is established by how much money they make. It's all this distinguishing, this distinction of one being better than the other, one being more um, worthy than the other, one being more entitled to than the other. And I'm telling you, and I'm going to keep telling you, and we're going to keep singing the song of heaven, it's all level ground at the cross. It's all level ground at the cross. And that has to matter in the way that we're living our life. So that when you see someone walking down the street, when you go, I don't know what to do. You don't go, it's them. You go, God, help this heart that has been trained to react. You've been trained to react a certain way. And you know what that gives me hope? You can learn to be trained another way. Amen? You can learn to see with the eyes of heaven that red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And there's neither male nor drink. That's another scripture that I have for you. Galatians 3.28. This is one of the, this is Isaiah 61 in the flesh. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3. It's like, you need a If you want to exercise out of today, you keep praying that verse until the Lord says you believe it. Not when you say you believe it, but when the Holy Spirit says you believe it. Because when you start believing that, you're going to start living differently. You're going to start thinking differently. So then the last scripture is 2 Corinthians 5, ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us. Whose love? Your love? Whose love? Christ's love. That means that there is another source besides what you feel. Pay attention to what I'm saying. That means there's a whole nother bucket of love besides the bucket of love that currently lives in your head and in your thoughts and in your feelings. And so that means if I don't feel that and we won't and we don't because we've been trained otherwise, that means I have just recently, I have just, I come into a situation, I have all these funny feelings. That means that my little love bucket just went down to zero. And I just go, oh, it's their fault. Then I go, oh Lord, I need some of your love because my little bucket just went dry. Are you all tracking with what I'm saying? Every single situation of your life is an invitation for you to tap into the love of God and make it your own. That's true. Every single situation of your life is an invitation for you to tap into the love of God and make it your own. Jen. Yes. Would you be Acts 17.26? I will. I'm going to write down what? Acts 17.26. I will. 17. Okay. Let me finish this in Corinthians and I'll go right there. Christ's love compels us that we are convinced that one died and therefore all died. And he died for us. That those who should no longer live for themselves. 
Those should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Here is a great exercise that you start noticing when you watch the news or when you drive down certain parts of town or you hear something that you get offended by on the social media because it's such a wealth of wisdom and you do all this kind of stuff, you ask the Lord this question, is this a worldly point of view? You're going to run into the flesh and blood of us as humans and as we grapple through this. But the good news is, is that there's a distinction between a worldly point of view and a heavenly one. And you get to choose which one you're going to live out of. Okay? So, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the way we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's trying to get you to look just like him, right? You do what your dad does. You think like your dad does. You love like your dad does. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. And it says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that before I could have a ministry of reconciliation, I have to be reconciled to God myself. And I don't know about you, but I think that the white folks need a great big dose of repentance. The white folks need a great big dose of how have I turned a blind eye for so long? How have I looked the other way? How have I said, oh, well, I don't do that. Well, what do you do against it? What are you doing to affect change? What are you doing to speak out about it? It's like Facebook is blowing up and I think it's actually causing more trouble than good sometimes because that's just the nature of Facebook. It's like I posted something. This is so this is a perfect example of humanity. And I'm just going to go there. So there (laughs) I'm going to print this out for you because this woman has written out this heartfelt uh, examination. She's a believer. She her dad and um, her uncles and her grandfathers um, have died in the line of duty. They've lined uh, given service. I mean, they've paid the price as a family. Oh, and did I happen to mention, oh, they're a black family, okay? So she's talking about helping us understand, not not helping us understand what we already think. She's trying to help us understand this is what reality looks like. Instead of you trying to be comfortable, I'm trying to tell you this is what actually looks like, and I'm going to print this out and bring it back to you next time because I think it would be worth it for us as a body to grapple with it. We need to, we need to grapple within ourselves, and I read that, and I read, I've sat on that for two days, and I have found myself going, God, I'm so deceived. I'm so comfortable, and I'm so deceived that I'm going, it's not a problem. It's, it's not a problem. And the Lord's going, it's a problem. And forgive me, let me be very precise with my language. Now, I'm not saying it's not a problem out there. I'm saying it's not a problem in here. Uh, the guy from Blue Light Jazz said he used to go to protests of every nature and hold up a sign, and every sign said the same thing. I am the problem. It's confronting, isn't it? Do you notice, Look at how uncomfortable you feel right now. It's because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, 
But guess what? His kindness leads us to repentance, which leads us to living differently. Those of us who have experienced the repentance of God, we live different because we've experienced something, because it's changed us. I once was this, and now I'm this, and the only thing that happened in between was him. And it changes the way you do things. It changes the way you think things. And that must come to us personally, to the church, and to our society about how we allow this to go on. Are you going to read that thing that you're going to talk about? I'm going to just read one piece of it. I Can somebody read Acts 17? Do you have that right there, Caroline? Is it Caroline or Caroline? Uh, which? Caroline. 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 <laughs> yeah, will you read that out loud? I know you just closed your Bible, but read that out for us. <coughs> and I'll take another drink. I had said this because this verse came to me quite a lot in my study of it. Acts 17.26, is that what you're yes. reading? Okay. Acts 17.26. And he has made one blood, from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Perfect. Thank you. That's awesome. So where did race come from? Where did race come from? Because I don't know about you, new Christian, kind of coming late to the game, trying to figure out how to sort all this stuff, what I grew up in the South. I've lived overseas, so I've seen all kinds of nationalities. I've lived in Sudan where I'm the minority. That'll wake you up. Like out of thousands of black people, you're like one little white person. That'll wake you up. That'll wake you up to a whole different world. And can you imagine in Sudan, they, they um, what's the word, discriminate on the color of your blackness. Wow. The same thing in India. <clears throat> yeah. The color of the shade of the skin? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's insane. So, you're, so then there's the, this whole thing you're trying to figure out. And, and race is a human concept. It's not a biblical one. Okay? We started making these distinctions about race. Tell me, if you're going to get really in a, a, a big thinking, there's Adam and Eve. Do we agree that that's the mother and father? Yes. Okay. And then you got all this business. Mm-hmm. So how many races are there? One. One new humanity. And so there's something about you having to challenge about how you separate. I have a 25-page document that talks about how race was developed. And how it's particularly how race was developed in this country. And then we were in, I don't know if you remember this, when we were in Zimbabwe, we went to the predominantly, well, it wasn't predominantly, it was only white. What's that church? That's the Dutch. The Dutch church over there. Yeah. And so we were trying to talk to them about reconciliation, about their neighbors and people that they're living with. And like, how are you doing this? And a woman actually got her Bible down and showed me. She said, Jenna, they're not like us. They're not like us. They're part of the uh, heritage of Noah and Noah's sons. And it says right here that they're going to be cursed. And they're like not like us. They, they don't think like us. They're not evolved like us. They have no potential like us. So they're really actually in their right place. And I'm sitting there going, why don't you try telling that to Jesus? Yeah, because Jesus erases every freaking curse. <clears throat> so it's like there's something really powerful about you start paying attention 
to how you jump into conversation. So race then, if you go back through this whole document, I want, to, I want you to really understand genetically, there's one race. It's been proven. Genetically, one race. And I have a picture for you. Chuck, will you show this picture? Those are sisters from the same mom and dad. Go to their family picture. He's white Irish, European Irish, and she's Jamaican. And these are the sisters. See them? Mm -hmm. They're not adopted. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like this concept about us like being different. This is a man-made construct. Who can tell me what the definition of a construct is? Like a worldview? Sort of close. Keep going. What's that? Something we've manufactured. That's based on? That's based on our experience, our right? observation. And there's a fundamental basic under a construct that's not true. And it's often described as a construct with little pieces that's added on top until it becomes a structure that's based on this mistruth. And it got covered over and you just didn't even know that it was going on. I mean, really, there, I think the thing that was so shocking to me is that there is no, there's no genetic difference. There's 1% difference. Even if you go to different parts of the world where we look so different, even then it's only 6% of their genes are actually any different because there's one human race. And so then how do we get this massive divide? <clears throat> and it says the massive divide begins as a social division. And they start trying to <clears throat> type people. Like in this country... In this country, in order for us to justify using blacks as slaves, we had to make them less than because we had to keep diminishing them. These are princes that came from the continent of Africa. Princes, princes and princesses. They had territories. They had peoples. They had families. And we took them and we made them less than so that they could become property. And then when they're property, we can do whatever we want. Now, you guys know how I feel about women, and I get all worked up about that same concept. You have to lower them and diminish them so that one is above and one is below. And when we were in worship, the Lord just always brings back to me some of these songs about Isaiah 61, you know? And it says that he came to set the captives free, right? But let me speak this to you in the greatest love. When we first say that, oh, Lord, set the captives free, set, set the black people free, and the African-Americans and the hearts, oh, Lord, set them free, and the Lord go, maybe I've come to set all the captives free. The white folks that are doing it, the races that are trying to put the other races down, see, I just use it myself, the people group that are trying to put other humans, trying to put other humans down, it's like you want to be so mindful that you need rescuing as much as they do, all right, because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, and so part of coming into repentance is I agree with Jesus. That's what repentance means. You change your mind to think what he thinks. And so you're not trying to just be nicer to black people. You're trying to go after the very construct, the sin of the world, the wickedness of the enemy, trying to just batter us against each other and trying to figure out how can I, I heard, a, I think, Laura, you posted it, Mm, the guy from This Is uh, Sterling. Oh, yeah. And he said this phrase. He said, as a, as a black man and a large black man, I, I'm a black man in a largely white environment. And I always have to check myself that I, these words, to please and appease, 
on an appropriate letter. I don't, I don't come in too hot and I don't act really aggressive. I have to please and appease because I have to kind of ease into that. And I just went, my blood just went, this is so wrong. This is so wrong. I walk into a room. I don't think one thing about it. Here I am. Here's Jenna. Hi. I don't think one thing about that. And why would someone have to gauge their self based on the color of their skin? I don't care what the color issue is. I don't know if you've been around Asians. And I have, it's like I have all these Vietnamese people who do my nails. You should see their own level of racism. They won't talk to this, this country. They won't talk to that country. They won't talk to this country. It's like, it's a, this is a human issue. Do you understand? Yeah. And we have a Savior who's willing to do it. And you can't make it so global that it's a human condition and we can't help it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And we must because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. <clears throat> so, Laura, you asked me about the one comment. I'm, I'm only going to do this. I'm going to read you two that was really, uh, really important to me. They were all important to me. Here's one. <clears throat> Number six. Hear our stories. You think this is a figment of my imagination or that I'm stuck in a historical time warp. No, this is my actual lived experience today. I have, over, I have overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. When you don't hear me, you might miss it on part of what God is doing in our world. So it's like hearing her story. She said earlier, this is new, big news to you. You hear about this person dying, this person dying. She goes, I live with this every day. This is not big news to me. Our people are dying all the time. This is not big news to me. Then she said, this will be a hard truth, but it needs to be said. She said, realize that if you are in a place of denial about racism, that you are the white moderate person of which Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who you love to quote, spoke, the one more devoted to order than to justice who prefers negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Do you understand what I'm saying? No no tension, no strife, no problem, right? Oh, we're good. No, we're not good until the brothers and sisters live in unity. That's how you're going to know that we've arrived, when brothers and sisters live in unity, when we don't judge people based on the color of their skin, when all are loved and honored. That's how you're going to know that we have achieved the kingdom. And then she goes on to say, Listen, that word about order versus justice, you need to take that comment back to the Lord. Do I like order? Oh, they are rioting. Those people should not be tearing down that city. Did y'all hear Atlanta, the Atlanta mayor? Just like rip it up. She was awesome. She's a black mayor. So she's talking to her people and our people. And she's going, y'all, this is not our city. We have lived in harmony for years and years. We've built Atlanta on harmony, that we come together. And so when you're burning up people's houses or tearing up their businesses, she goes, this is your brothers and sisters. We're all working in this together. Stop, right? So she's got this declaration that she's saying over us. But then she says this really important thing about there's another way to get justice. There's a way for us to go after justice instead of peace and quiet. She said, we understand you're upset. We're upset too. She goes, I want justice but I'm not going to go cause disorder to get it. Do you hear what I'm saying? So then this woman here is talking about, we've got to figure out some way to have attention because what we're doing right now is not working. 
You are now the person, uh, I'm just not going to try to read all this. She said this. Don't tell me this isn't a gospel issue when you make abortion, traditional marriage, sexual immorality, and so many other things gospel issues. The father cares about it all, but more than the issue, he cares about the people behind them. I'm a person created in the image for his glory and for his purposes. Can you see me as that, or am I just an issue? Like, can you start looking at people of diversity as your brothers and sisters? Why don't you just work on that? We're not trying to go out and save them. We're trying to figure out how to love them. I'm trying to figure out how to love people. I just want to say to you, at the end of your life, that will be the question. Do you understand what I'm saying to you this morning? That will be the question. Have you loved your wife in a sacrificial way, laying down your life to love your wife? That's the charge. Have you laid down your life to love your family and to do something about it? Have you laid down your life for the sake of Christ? The love of God compels me, throws me forward in things I would not do because I love Jesus and have been loved by him and I must respond to love. That will be it. And it won't be you saying safe and cozy. It's gonna be because you put yourself out there and you trusted that the Lord would carry you. I tell you, we must, now's the time. Now's the time. It's not because another man died. I'm telling you, it's now's the time for the church. You're gonna, it's, listen, don't talk about Pentecost if you're not gonna talk about change. Because Pentecost came to bring change. Global, permanent, forever change. And we must rise up. And the way that we do that is by going low. You get on your knees. You get in your prayer closet. You get in worship. And stop acting like you're a victim. Stop acting like your family's a victim. And you start going after the trees of God and you plant them and you speak them and you plant them and you speak them. And you take the territory that you've been given and you start releasing the authority that God's given you. You build bridges when you can. Some of you need to just get in there and just wrap up the motor and start moving some obstacles and some BS out of the way so that stuff can be built. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think that that's what we're called to right now. I think that many of us, we're trying to go take people flowers and what we actually need to do is get behind a bulldozer and start moving the crap out of the way so that we can see truth. Do you, do you guys understand what I'm saying? It's like we must, we must let the love of God compel us into action. So the final thing I'm going to say. <clears throat> ah, <laughs> okay, Lord, that's funny. It's not what white folks would do to bring reconciliation. It's what would Jesus do? See, even that, you can't go into fixing mode. You've got to come back, Lord, who would you? What would you? It's like this intimate, intimately acquainted relationship with the Lord leading and guiding you one by one into this conversation, into this action. Even in social reform cannot be done without Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? What I want to wrap up with, I'm not going to show it to you. If you haven't already watched The Chosen, did I mention that I love The Chosen? I really think everybody should watch The Chosen. Is the whole scene of how they set up the Samaritan woman shows you racism and what the Lord thinks, what Jesus does in the face. Because the Samaritans and the Jews were like at war for years, hundreds of years, right? 
and they hated each other. And they said all these terrible, they killed each other. Then there's this whole fight, killing each other back and forth. And the way they describe the picture, and I've never really thought about it in scripture, but there would be no reason for them to go to Samaria, except that Jesus went there on purpose. He went there on purpose to find her. And then here you go. <clears throat> She's the first evangelical. She's the first evangelist, sorry. <clears throat> and she goes to a people group that they wouldn't even talk to. And now the gospel has just been released. <clears throat> Jesus is no respecter of persons. The blood covers this all. And we get to just spread that love around. Amen? Why don't you put your hand on your heart and let's just pray for a few minutes. <clears throat> Father, uh, Father, thank you for the borders that you've given us. I don't always believe in a responsive prayer, but just as you feel led, just repeat this either to yourself or out loud. Father, thank you for my borders. <clears throat> thank you that you're, you gave them to me. Thank you that I have authority within them. Let me use my authority for good. God, teach me boundaries. That I'm okay because I'm with you. Help me not to get crowded by other people. Help me not to crowd other people. A healthy separation between me and them. God, teach me how to build bridges. Give me the heart to build bridges like you have. Let's just say that again. Teach me to build. Give me the heart to build bridges like you have. Father, teach me how to manage my bulldozer for reshaping the future. Being willing to get dirty. The love of Christ compels us to move in a different way. And I'm so thankful for your love, God. We receive your love brand new. I just want to wash off any victim mentality, wash off any I can't, wash off any self-pity or it's too hard. I just sing out the song that you taught me through Crystal Freeman, that because of the cross, you have opened a door that Christians do hard things. We do hard things because our Savior modeled it for us. But for the joy set before us, we do hard things. And we are willing to go the distance, Lord, because you went the distance and beyond for us. Not out of duty, Lord, but out of absolute devotion. Our lives are radically different because your love moved in. And we are compelled, compelled to give it away. This man who's told me everything about me, I have to go tell the others. And so I just ask God in my, my, small, little, my small little pipsqueak in front of the face of a tsunami, Lord, that we just keep singing the name of Jesus. And that power of that name changes the course of history. So this little tiny body, we lift up the name of Jesus and we speak it over the corruption and the brokenness and the sin and the hurt in our country, in our city, God. We, we bless the police forces. We bless those black and white. We bless those good that you would help them to overcome those who are evil. Lord, good must triumph over evil. We call up the righteous. We call up the righteous. We strengthen them to stand in these days. We bless the first responders. We bless the, the, just the Bethel prayer that we often pray so much that we just bless our economies, the pillars, the families, the education, the commerce, Lord, the government, just all these ways, Lord. Let your love rise up and level the ground. Level the ground for all of us. <sighs> Hear our cries, God. I know that, Jesus, you're interceding for us 
in so much better ways. But I just thank you for the opportunity for us to come together and just groan in your presence. We must see change. And we just thank you that you are the change. You are the change. You're the change that every single one of us walked in here needing. Thank you for that, God. In Jesus' strong, strong name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Chuck, will you do a Bethel offering for us and pray for us, babe? Y'all still breathing? Yes. Okay, good. You ready? Yeah, I'm trying to find a here. Why don't you stand up and we'll do the offering together? <clears throat> Chuck, will you pray for us, honey? Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's read this together. As we receive today's offering, we are believing the Lord for jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, favorable settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, Gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decreased, blessing and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs, that I may have more than enough to give to the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, Jesus, we just pause and remember that every, every good and perfect gift is from you. Lord, all that we have, all that we need, you shepherd us, and we lack nothing. So we just thank you for that, Lord. Um, thank you for the challenge uh, from Jana uh, that I can move into the world and I can be a bridge builder and your love can compel me to action and not just to certain amounts of thinking. Lord, prompt us to a level of awareness uh, of our own heart um, to really look at constructs that we've placed and tear them down uh, to be the ministers of reconciliation that you want to be in us and through us. So thank you for providing for us. Um, give us hope and life and healing. We thank you for your spirit, God, that changes the whole reality of the kingdom and what's available to us right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.